great are our thrones? <laughs> yes, I am loving our thrones. Um, and this looks like a very packed house. This is incredible. I'm sure you're all very excited. I am thrilled to introduce author and artist Emma Carey today and to host this conversation. Many of you will know some of Emma's story already, and some of you may have read her book, The Girl Who Fell From The Sky. I've had the privilege of reading it, and it was easily one of the most heartfelt or inspiring books of courage that I have ever read. With 166,000 followers on Instagram alone, Emma amassed a warm and devoted online following in the years since her life-changing accident. And I think it's safe to say that that community surrounding her is thanks not to the event that happened in the Swiss Alps, but her positivity, strength and resilience in all that she does. And so much of the wisdom and advice she shares is applicable to all different facets of people's lives. And I think that's why so many people are drawn to her. Turia Pitt says of Emma, I love this woman's outlook and her attitude. She's formidable in a totally sunny and lovable way. Dylan Alcott says, Emma Carey is a powerhouse. This book will change a lot of perceptions of what you think it's like to live with a disability. And I'm excited to say that in the three weeks since The Girl Who Fell From The Sky hit shelves, it has already become a bestseller. So, with so much to talk about, Let's dive into our conversation. That was such a great <laughs> intro. Thank you so much. You're worth it. <laughs> and thank you all so, so much for coming. I've only been to Adelaide once before, very briefly, so it's so wild to me that there's so many people here in a place that I've never really been. So thank you so much. <laughs> well, I was going to start by saying, as soon as the book tour was announced uh, on social media, the Adelaideans got straight on there. Yeah. The comments saying, Adelaide, were Adelaide, yep. Adelaide, yep. Adelaide. And it was straight after that that the Adelaide yep. um, event was announced and you sold it out very quickly. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm allowed to say how quickly because it was faster than but yeah, everyone comments else. comments were even a bit aggressive at times. <laughs> <laughs> Adelaide's a capital city too, you know. I was like, we're coming. I got on the we're phone and I was like, we must we're come coming. to Adelaide. <laughs> so it's so great to be here. Thank you all. Now, if you don't mind, we'll just start with the biggest thing. So would you be happy to share with us a bit about the accident in Switzerland and how the day unfolded? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, has anyone read the book yet? Because yes. they already know. They know. <laughs> um, well, yeah, it was a very normal day, which is the randomest thing about it, because I always imagined that when something big happens, you would know that it's coming. But it was just a very normal day when I was 20. Well, it wasn't normal because I was in Switzerland, but <laughs> that's not an everyday occurrence. But yeah, I'd been so excited to skydive in this one particular place. I'd always wanted to do it there and I was just nothing but excited. I didn't, it sounds so silly now in hindsight, but not a single part of me contemplated the danger involved in it because I was just so excited for it. Um, and then obviously I very quickly wasn't anymore. When, when we first started falling, I, I remember loving the free fall so much and thinking, I'm going to become a skydiver, which is what I reckon. Have you ever skydived? No, I have not. Okay, well, I reckon everyone that does would have the same thought process of this is so fun, this is my life calling, this is what I'm going to do. And then uh, it very quickly changed when we kept falling and the free fall that had been so peaceful became very terrifying. And because I'd never done it before, I had nothing to compare it to, so I didn't immediately know something was wrong, so... It would have all been within a matter of seconds, but at first I thought, okay, maybe he just can't hear me over the wind or maybe, you know, maybe he's doing everything he can to fix it. But the closer we got to the ground, I I realised that, you know, it was, it was way too... We were way too close and we were still going way too fast, so we were definitely going to crash. And you explain in the book that really it was a second that made all the difference in terms of the parachutes and the emergency parachute. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so when I found this out, I it was so mind-blowing to me. So if he had pulled the parachute one second earlier, it would have opened normally and it all would have been fine. But if he opened it one second later, the emergency parachute would have already had been able to come out and this one wouldn't have come out. And so we would have been fine again, but we would have used the emergency. So it was really just a split-second, um, not even a decision, just a split-second twist of fate that enabled that to happen, which I found so bizarre in the beginning to think about, but I realised that that happens to all of us all day right. without, without realising, but that's just a very black and white example and a very, a very obvious example of a fork in the road, but it's happening to all of us 
um, all day, every day. That's it. Yeah. And so the doctors were telling you that you wouldn't walk again, but I did read in an interview that you really felt like you would. Did you voice those thoughts early on or was that something that you were just thinking? Well, I don't even... Yeah, I always just thought I would walk again, but I don't think it was in a, I'm going to prove the doctor's wrong, like, I believe I can, so I will. It wasn't like that at all. I think it was just denial and shock, to be honest, because I'd walked... For 20 years, mm -hmm. it was so bizarre to me that I never would again in the early days. So I, I don't think it was even, yeah, it wasn't like this big act of defiance. It was just, of, of course I will. Like, I'm so used, it was just denial. Sure. Yeah. And it sounded like there was a bit of confusion in the beginning because you're obviously in another country. Did you realise early on that they were saying that you weren't going to walk again or did it take a while before you even really got that messaging? Uh, it would have been... Probably three days later when I found out after my second surgery and they told me blatantly that. But I realised on the first day, even though I couldn't really understand what people were saying, just the look that they were giving me and when I had a scan and then seen, seen everyone's face after that and them kind of avoiding my eyes, I, 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 could, I knew even without anyone telling me that that's that feeling. what... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you do write about the fact that you can't say exactly when you first learnt to walk again, but you tell a fantastic story of wanting chocolate one night in hospital. Could you tell us about that? <laughs> so funny. So my friend um, Sam Mack, who wrote a quote for the book, he called me after he read it and he's like, oh, your book's so funny. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what's funny? And he's like, you talk about food in every single chapter. <laughs> and he thought I did that deliberately as a joke, but I didn't even realise. I <laughs> just love food so much. And, uh, yeah, in here there's a chapter of when I first took when I took my first steps again, it was me trying to get to chocolate on the other side of the room and I had no other way to get there. Um, so I love food a lot and it's very food-based. And even one of my thoughts when I thought I was about to die was I'm not going to get to eat that sandwich. Like, <laughs> always on the brain. But I loved yes. that that food was your incentive yeah. to get up and move. Yeah. What a great memory to have. <laughs> and I... I I didn't tell anyone about that. I didn't tell the doctors. I didn't tell my family or friends, anyone, until this book. It was just like a secret memory that I had for myself. <laughs> and um, if you don't mind me asking, you can't feel your legs, but you can walk. Is that a unique thing? Because it's not something that I'd heard of before. Yeah, I had never heard of that either. Yeah. So I was very shocked to find out that that is possible. But every spinal cord injury is so unique. And so I'm not going to explain this very good in a scientific way, but how I was told is that there's two separate nerves, one for the motor and one for the sensory. And so for me, my motor nerve wasn't as injured as the sensory because the sensory hasn't regained any... Yeah, I haven't regained any feeling ever since that day all those years ago. So I know people who have uh, no... Wait, what's the opposite to me? who can not move at all but can feel everything or people that have none or people have both, like it's all so unique or people who can feel just one particular spot on their foot but they can't move anywhere. So, yeah, every spinal cord injury is, is so unique, which I was very interested to learn. I just mm. thought it would be all the same, but no. And your positive outlook on life is apparent in everything you do. I think anyone that has come across you on social media can tell what a positive person you are. Many of your doctors commented on it throughout your journey. And, of course, you can't go through something major like that without having low moments and without having darker days. Do you still have moments like that? And if so, what tools do you use um, to get through those moments? Yeah, I, not so much anything to do with um, my disability or accident or anything. I don't have bad days about that anymore. But just human, being human, life, <laughs> life mm. bad days, I do for sure. And I, I used to, in the beginning, few years after this all happened, I was so adamant about being happy that if I was sad, I wouldn't let myself feel sad properly because I... I was so scared to be sad because I thought I'd never be able to get back out of that again. But since then, I've really realised the importance of letting yourself feel emotions properly. So whether it's sadness or anger, frustration, whatever it is, I really let myself be in that when I feel it and cry and scream and whatever it is. And then I think the key is being able to know when you've been in that long enough and you've felt the feelings and then to try and get yourself out. So for me, the things that help 
which are the very, everyone's different, but for me it's like the very basic things that we're always told, like going outside in nature, moving my body, doing some form of exercise, playing with my niece, um, calling a friend, all those kind of things make me feel even at least a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I think you do talk a bit about that too, getting outside, um, going to the beach, and then you moved to the Gold Coast. Was that a part of that, getting that kind of outdoor vibes in your life? Yeah, I'd always wanted to live on the Gold Coast, which is weird because I'd never even been there. Um, (laughs) But I thought it looks like a good place. Um, But being from Canberra where it's, it's a lot colder, there's no ocean, and I just... I'd planned to move there after my trip anyway, but then after my accident happened, there was just so much more incentive. I just really wanted a fresh start where nobody knew me, nobody was being like, oh, that's the poor girl that had the accident. Like, no one knew who I was so I could become anyone that I wanted. And the warm weather and the beach was definitely a draw card for sure. Beautiful. Um, You've built a really beautiful online community. What kind of- Here they are. They're here. (laughs) It's you. <laughs> what kind of feedback do you get from your network and has that had a, or did it have um, a positive impact on your recovery? We should ask them. <laughs> I think you guys um, did. <laughs> um, no, it, it's been so amazing. So I first started gaining, I hate the term following, but you know what I mean, um, in the year after my accident and it was so special to me back then because I felt like I was going through this huge thing that, People in my life were there for me, but no one could really empathise on that level. And so being able to talk to people from all around the world who had gone through the same thing or who were going through their own struggles in whatever way it was, it just felt so nice to have that community and that support. I just, I I honestly feel like I would have become a completely different person in some way or another if I didn't have that. I just felt so loved and supported. And in that time, it, it just helped so, so much. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I did say to Emma uh, backstage that when I read the book, I circled, I mean, so many quotes, guys, pretty much a quote on every page. I don't know if other people did this, but it was getting a bit ridiculous. So I um, asked her permission if I could read some of those quotes out. I didn't know if it was going to be strange, me reading you to you. And I said, I'm very (laughs) self-indulgent. Please read them to me. But I said, I'm going to do it anyway. I won't read too many because then I thought maybe it would be like reading the whole book to everybody. (laughs) But um, I just wanted to talk a bit about your body. And one of the quotes, this, I think this is probably my favourite quote in the whole book. The quote was, I was beginning to uncover something well beyond body positivity, a far deeper yet simple truth. We are not our bodies at all. And I was like mind blown by that. I just think that is perfect. And so my question is, are your feelings towards your body now or I guess about your body different to what they were before the accident? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, before my accident and I was only 20 so I feel like this change would have happened throughout my 20s anyway but I just saw my body as from the outside. It was Mm -hmm. an object and just purely based it on what it looked like and what it could do because I was really sporty and athletic so I really valued what it could do in that regard. But afterwards I yeah I I was like I could literally could not care less what I look like on the outside. All I wanted was legs that moved and enabled me to do the things that I missed. And then that seemed like a real turning point in perspective but then I realised there was something far beyond that as well when I was living in the spinal ward and I was surrounded by so many people who were paraplegics and quadriplegics and I was like it's all well and good to say you know just be grateful for what your body still can do but you wouldn't necessarily say that to someone who's um, who can't move anything from the neck down and I was like there's still something else to learn here and just realising that even though I couldn't move half of my body now or feel half of my body, I wasn't half of a person. And it's so, it sounds so obvious, but it was just such a huge realisation for me that why were we placing so much pressure and so much focus on this external shell when without it we're still... Us, yeah. <laughs> we're still us. And yeah. hopefully I write about it better than I speak. <laughs> Don't worry, I've written down all the quotes. I can read it back to you. Yeah, it was just such a huge lesson for me in not not only not focusing on what we look like, but also it's not even our body's capabilities physically that matter either. We're so much more than that. Yeah, I I loved that. I circled that about five times in different (laughs) coloured pens. Um, And I've got another quote and 
uh, it doesn't even have a question following. I just want to read it because I just loved it. But um, you were talking about your body and how it was working. So you were saying, my heart was still pumping blood to the places it was needed. My kidneys were still in expelling toxins. My lungs, even when semi-collapsed, were allowing me to take my next breath. My body was doing all these things unconsciously and it would continue to do them whether or not I took the time to notice. It was the best example of unconditional love that I'd ever seen and I was in awe. Oh, and I just loved that, the thought that your body is giving you that unconditional love despite, you know, you're going around your day doing your thing. I just thought that was beautiful. Yeah, and I, even when we're mad at our body, even when I was so upset that I was paralysed, it was still doing all of these other things for me. And I couldn't believe, and again, I was only 20, so it's fine, but I couldn't believe that I had gone that long without ever stopping to think about how lucky I was to be able to see or hear or feel touch. I just, I I was shocked at how much, you know, when, when we do gratitude lists or whatever, it's so easy to list off the obvious things, but there's always so much to be grateful for when we really stop to think about it just within our own bodies. That can be so overlooked if we haven't faced a health challenge. Mm, but like you said, you were talking about being 20. I don't think it matters what age you are. I think anyone that has read the book or that will read the book will be like me, circling so many things. I don't think it matters what age. Having someone else remind you of those things I think is really important and that's what's so beautiful about the book. Thank you. Um, I heard you once mention that if you could have your spinal cord completely healed again, you don't know if you still would want it to be because you've learnt so much about yourself now. Is that still the case? Do you still have that feeling? Uh, I don't think... I don't know... I don't know if I said that. (laughs) (laughs) I Googled you extensively and I thought I read that. I feel like I would have said, if I could heal my spinal cord, absolutely. Like I I miss running so much. I would love to not have to use catheters every day. Mm -hmm. I would not have to be like, oh my God, am I going to pee while I'm on this stage? Mm -hmm. I would love to not have that thought process all the Mm -hmm. time. But would I take back my accident? No, I wouldn't. So I think um, even though they're kind of opposing answers, I think both can Mm -hmm. be true because Mm -hmm. yeah, I've learned and gained so much from it that I wouldn't want to take it back. Mm-hmm. But if I could still learn all those lessons and have my spinal yes. cord fixed, great. Yes. And I think <laughs> another quote, because you know I love the quotes, This I think this talks to what you're saying. So you'd said, I'd been holding so tightly to a version of me which no longer existed that I hadn't stopped to ask myself if I actually wanted that version back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because before my accident, I was a really... I don't know if pessimistic's the right word, but I just took everything for granted and I was just kind of plodding along through life and I wasn't really excited about anything. And after my accident happened, I was so upset and I felt like I'd lost my identity and I was trying to rebuild into that person I was because that's what I was used to. And then when I stopped to think, I was like, hold on, I didn't even necessarily love the person I was. So why am I trying to rebuild into this person just because that was what was familiar And that's when I was like, let's move away and let's become someone new. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, How important has your support network of family and friends been um, in the years following the accident? Yeah, super important. I I felt so lucky, especially in hospital, to have so many visitors all the time because I was witnessing a lot of other people that didn't have that. And just, yeah, once I moved to the Gold Coast and I, I created, I met all these new friends who only knew this version of me and so I could be the person that I wanted to be as I was saying not just the person I used to be that was that was so helpful and I could surround myself with people who had the qualities that I wanted to um, find in myself as well and yeah I think having a community around you people who you can laugh with and people who you can share with and cry with it's just so important so I feel really lucky. Mm. Um, It was beautiful to read so much about your family in the book. And if you haven't seen the book yet, there's photos inside. So it's nice getting that little insight into your family and your friends also. Um, Do you think that the accident is still teaching you new things about yourself as time passes? Oh, yeah, I think so. Maybe not so much the accident itself, but definitely living with a disability. I, it's weird, in the first probably like five or six years which is when this book ends I felt constantly just so lucky for everything that I had regained um and I knew that I could have been a lot worse off physically so I just felt so so lucky and then after um the case ended which is when this book ends I 
went through a whole other thing of then suddenly being really angry that it had happened, which I hadn't let myself feel before and really frustrated. And I think it had just kind of really sunk in that it was permanent. And even though I've got better in so many ways, there's still a lot of things that I can't do anymore. And just the permanency of it all, is that a word? Okay. <laughs> um, really, we'll, we'll make it a word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really sunk in. And so, I don't know, I think over the years I've gone through so many waves of different feelings and I probably will continue to. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, you write a chapter about survivor's guilt and setbacks and how recovery is not always straightforward. And um, you mentioned that the year of the wound, and we'll come back to that in <laughs> a sec, taught you about the value of pain, both emotional and physical. What would you say to people who are recovering from something, knowing what a squiggly line recovery can be, that it's not a straight line? Yeah, well, exactly that. Mm. I think we can sometimes look at other people who have gone through something and think, oh, well, they got over it in a year or they got over it in whatever time frame it was, so I should be over it. But like I just said, people go through so many different waves in the journey, so you could be totally fine one minute and then the next day without warning, you don't feel fine about it anymore and that's so fine. That's being life. That's being human and having a life. And I think, um, yeah, we don't need to be over things in any particular time frame, even if somebody else has been able to deal with something in a different way. It's completely it's completely different. Mm. Um, speaking of the year of the wound, that's something oh. that you <laughs> talk about a bit in the book. <laughs> For people that haven't read the book yet, they might not, might not realise that you had that major setback mm-hmm. um, and that you went from the wheelchair to walking to back into the wheelchair for a while. What was that like when you had had that taste of... Um, recovery. Was anyone here for the hashtag heal the heal phase? What did you, sorry for sharing all the graphic <laughs> photos back then. I was going through when I was writing the book and I was looking through all my things to find old things that I've written about and I was like, I really overshared with the wound. Like, I really put those photos in everyone's faces. Um, anyway, yeah, when, when I first was paralysed and in hospital and got put in a wheelchair, I wasn't at all all sad about that. I felt so thankful to have this thing that enabled me to get from room to room because before that I'd been stuck in bed for the month and in my mind I forgot that wheelchairs existed and I just thought I would be in a bed forever. So when I got given the wheelchair I was so lucky and thankful for it and I just saw it as a form of freedom and I'm really glad that that is the way I saw it. But then when I um, got back walking again and then had the wound and had to go back in a wheelchair I think I just felt scared because I thought that I'd been... I'd accepted being in a wheelchair and then I'd been told that I could walk again and I I just thought that I'd been given this thing and it was for certain again and I realised that it it wasn't certain and that our health can change at any time. So it kind of really scared me in that way, realising how fragile bodies are in general but especially now living with a spinal cord injury. Mm. I realised that, yeah, tomorrow I could something else can happen and I could be back in a wheelchair again. So, yeah, that was a harder adjustment, which sounds so silly because I wasn't even paralysed, but a harder adjustment than it was the years earlier. Yeah. Um, Your chapter on ableism is really powerful. So you write about some of the different ways you've been treated in your journey and some experiences of your friends as well. Um, Do you find that sharing those experiences has made some of the able-bodied people you've spoken to recognise how they can better change their mindsets and attitudes? And I know you can't change everyone's mindset and everyone's mindsets are different, but have you noticed that sharing your experiences has helped in that way? Yeah, so there's a a story I share in that chapter about my friend Sam who uses a wheelchair and a guy came up to him in a bar, came up to us and just handed him a $100 note. I was like, see ya. And we were like, <laughs> I was like, hold on. <laughs> why are you giving him $100? Like, why aren't you giving me $100? What's going on? <laughs> and I knew exactly what it was for. It's because he felt sorry for him and he thought that was the only thing he could think of to make his life better. And anyway, I write about that story in the book and I've since had people tell me I don't get what was so bad about that guy giving him $100. So that has opened my eyes to the fact that I think it is important that I share that story and explain why it is negative because knowing that people genuinely think that's a good thing to do mm. when it's not at all, it was, I, was, I was confused. I didn't realise that people would see that. Do you know what I'm saying? I 100% <laughs> know what you're saying. Yeah. Do you mind kind of 
broadening that for us a little bit. Yeah. So if there is anyone thinking, oh, it doesn't seem like that bad. Yeah. What What is it that you both felt in that moment? Yeah. Well, Sam was happy to take the hundred dollars and go, <laughs> but I was a little bit drunk, and I, I didn't say this in the book, but I got into quite the fight with this man because um, I was yeah I was a little bit tipsy, and I was like. Now's my time. You were at a pub. We'll (laughs) set the scene, yeah. So um, (laughs) I think it's when I asked him what it was for, he said, Oh, because he's inspiring. And I said, How do you know? What? Maybe he's not. (laughs) Maybe he's a really bad guy. Like, how do you know? And he's like, Oh, he's just so inspiring. I was like, What did he do? And he said, Well, he came out to the bar. And I said, So did you. So did I. And then he couldn't, he couldn't give me a reason. And it's because People tend to, and I got this a lot when I was in a wheelchair, people tend to see the wheelchair and just say, oh, you're so inspiring and you're so strong, which a lot of the time, of course, that person is, but for reasons in ways that any other human is inspiring or strong. It's not the wheelchair factor that makes you inspiring. It's all the things that you do with your life on top of that. And for example, my friend Sam, he just went to the Paralympics and he's lived an amazing life and is an incredible person. But... This guy didn't know that at all and he didn't at all give himself the chance to know him and all the things that Sam had to offer. He just reduced him to being in a wheelchair, gave him the hundred bucks to feel better about himself, not actually to help Sam and then went on with his day. Mm -hmm. Mm. How did you notice the difference between how people reacted when you were in the wheelchair versus when you were walking? Yeah, it was really interesting because I there was a period in time where I could walk, but most of the time I used my wheelchair because my balance was still really tricky. And But, I, yeah, I could go between. So it could be the same day and I was the exact same person with the same condition, but I could be in a wheelchair one hour and walking the next. And people, um, when I was in the wheelchair, would just treat me so much nicer, but also kind of cushion me a bit. And at first I thought that was... When I first got in a wheelchair, I thought that was a really positive thing because I was like oh people can see that I'm having a really hard time at the moment and are treating me carefully but when it had been a year and I was still in my wheelchair and I was absolutely absolutely fine in life and happy again I realized that it wasn't people didn't know that I was in a hard time in my life they just assumed that I was because I was in a wheelchair and they were treating me with kindness you can tell the difference between kindness and pity and a lot of the time it was pity that's what I noticed Mm -hmm. and so when I was either on my crutches or standing again, people didn't grant me that same generosity or patience or whatever it was. Mm. And also another thing I noticed is when I started walking, people would... That's when people would be like, oh, I, I'm, like, I can't believe you're, you're so amazing that you learned to walk again. And I just hated that because it was... It, it kind of, to me, insinuated that people who didn't get the opportunity to learn to walk again weren't amazing or Mm -hmm. resilient or determined or whatever it is and because honestly I just think it was something that was complete luck it wasn't that I tried harder in physio than anyone else or that I was more positive it's nothing like that can heal a spinal cord it just came down to pure luck Mm -hmm. so yeah it was was interesting (laughs) noticing the difference I have another quote for you that oh that fits with that oh great so and I, I kind of knew when I was reading the book, I knew you were going to say something like this at some point, that you were going to say, I don't want people to say I'm inspiring because I went from this point to this point because some people won't. It doesn't mean I'm any more inspiring than them. So I, I, I felt this quote was coming, so I wrote it down. <laughs> you say, if I'm an inspiration for anything, it shouldn't be for my happiness or for learning to walk again. It should be for the fact that despite all odds, I found the tiniest glimmer of hope and held on to it as if my life depended on it. I suppose it did. Perhaps that's all bravery really is. The courage to look for hope where there is none and looking anyway. And I thought that really summed that up. I thought that was great. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to make sure that I was okay again, whether or not I learned to walk again. And mm-hmm. in the beginning, my biggest fear was that I'd never feel happiness again. It wasn't that I wouldn't walk. It was that I would never feel happiness after the traumatic thing that happened. And so when I found myself having moments... Even on the day that it happened, I found myself laughing in the helicopter with Gemma or smiling at different things. And I was so amazed that you could laugh on the hardest day of your life and you could feel two opposing emotions at the same time because I'd never experienced that before. And so I really held on to those glimmers of hope that showed me I would be able to feel joy again and I would be able to create a fulfilling life regardless of if I got back on my feet. Yeah. 
Um, it sounds like many people in your life have commented on your mindset um, and positivity. For those people here who need or want to find more positivity in their lives, what tips would you give them? Oh. Mm. Um, I think the main thing that really helps me is uh, purposely focusing on what I have or what I've gained from a situation rather than just focusing on what I've lost. And sometimes there's nothing to gain from a situation. I fully get that. But I think focusing on what you still have rather than just grieving the things that you've lost, which is also important to do. But um, when it get, I think that gets to a point where you need to very consciously focus on those things instead. And so for me, I tried to focus less on the fact that my legs weren't working and more on the fact that I was so lucky to have my hands and my arms and be able to see and hear and have be able to be in an amazing hospital and have family and friends come and visit me yeah so I think perspective is honestly one of the most important things that we can change yeah, yeah. um can I put you on the spot a little bit yeah because there's something I wanted you to read out I'm not going to read it out because I'm basically reading you to you the whole time <laughs> I love it but I just loved your right now list Oh. So it's on page 154, guys. But anyway, anyone that's got the book, do you mind reading this out to us? Because I just thought this was so great. Um, she's written, here is a list of important things to remember when the future feels colourless. I'm going to give it to you. Thank you. Well, yeah, this answers your question of how do you get in a positive mindset. Mm. I like to think of other people that are having a good day. If I'm not having a good day, that helps me feel good. Uh, so, yeah, here's a list of important things to remember. Right now, someone is seeing the sunrise over the ocean for the first time. Right now, someone is falling in love. Right now, someone is taking a bite of what will be their new favourite food. Right now, someone is curled up in bed cuddling their new baby. Right now, someone is on a flight they've spent years saving for. Right now, someone is dancing and singing in the front row of a concert. Right now, someone is sitting by, the, by a cosy fireplace toasting a marshmallow. Right now, someone is closing a chapter that was hurting them and opening a new one. Right now, someone is having the very best day of their life. Oh, and this bit? Oh, you already read that bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if you read every bit that I circled, we would be here all day. But I just loved that. And I thought that was such a practical way of thinking about it. If you're having a tough day, it's easy to think of someone else, isn't it? Instead of thinking about yourself, because sometimes your troubles feel so overwhelming, mm -hmm. it's hard to imagine the positive mindset for you, but you can think about someone else having that great yeah, day. Yeah, and that makes me so happy, honestly. And, and it also helps to think it's happening for that person right now, but one day it will happen for me again too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I like to think, I, I just always like to think that the best days of my life haven't happened yet, mm -hmm. and that there's so much more to be excited for. Absolutely. Um, I'd love to talk about when you decided to write the book as a book. Were you journaling throughout your um, journey, I guess? <laughs> journaling the journey. Yeah, I've always, I've always um, loved journaling and most of the time I post it on Instagram, as you guys would know, with my mega long <laughs> captions. <laughs> That's my journal. Um, but so I'd always been writing these little snippets, which I initially did because I knew I was going through something huge and feeling so many intense emotions and I knew that one day I would want to be able to look back on them to reflect on what I went through. And I'm so glad I did that because when I was writing this book, even though I remember everything that happened perfectly, it was so helpful to be able to go back and read the really raw emotions and the finer details that I might have forgot over time and I could really delve back into exactly how I was feeling at the time. And it was also really comforting to do that because I would read things and I remember how I'd felt when I was writing them and how I'd felt so hopeless or like I would never feel okay again or I would never get out of that stage of my life. And then reading them after so much time had passed and realising that things really did get better. Um, so it was really comforting and really helpful for the book process. Mm. Did you have family or friends read it as you went along in the writing process or maybe just at the end? Uh, my family didn't read it. I sent a few chapters to a few friends, but yeah, most, most of it had not been read. No. Okay. And did they, did they read it before it came out? No. <laughs> <laughs> Did they just walk into a bookstore and buy it and then read it? <laughs> yeah, they were like, can you get us a copy? I was like, I don't have any. 
That is yeah. brilliant. Go to the bookstore, mate. Um, yeah, but my mum... Every book counts, oh, I guys. Had... <laughs> Even mum and dad. I had one copy that I got sent and I was like to my mum, I made this whole thing of it. I was like, mum, I'm going to give you the first copy so you can read it before it comes down. And she goes, I'm reading a book at the moment, actually. <laughs> and I was like... Love it. Yeah, so not. Nah. <laughs> um... Okay, aside from your family, <laughs> what has the reaction to the book been? Have you had any standout moments during the writing process but also since it's been released? Ooh. Well, today I went in a bookstore and someone was buying my book. Oh, how and good is yeah, that? Yeah. And I don't Were think you she, like... Well, Hi. yeah, I went up and hugged her and I don't think she actually knew who I was. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she had a clue who I was, so I really... She's have. always going to wonder. Yeah. Who that was. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that was cool. But just seeing even when I was walking in today and I saw you guys all in the line and so many of you were already holding a book, that's just mind-blowing to me and mm-hmm. just the messages that I've been getting are so heartfelt and people sharing their own stories with me. It's just so lovely and that's what I've always wanted to be able to connect with, this pe- with people in this way. And I know that what happened to me is quite unique and it's not necessarily a relatable experience but I hoped that I think I think as humans we all experience the same emotions just through different circumstance and so I hoped that people would be able to relate the things that I went through to their own lives well the emotions that I went through to their own lives even if you can't relate to (laughs) that (laughs) <laughs> the, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's why you sold this out so quickly. That's why there's people in every single seat here because um, anyone that has followed you online or has read the book can take those bits out of it and apply it to their own yeah, lives. Yeah, well, I hope so. Yeah. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to talk a little bit about your art. Did that come about during this process? It did, didn't it? You started doing doodles and things in a book? Yeah, so it was in the whole time when I thought, let's focus on what I still have, and I realised I had the use of my hands, and I thought, what can I do with my hands while I can't leave this bed and there's nothing else I can really do at the moment? So I started drawing, and initially I was just creating cards, thank you cards for the nurses in Switzerland, Um, and... I just found it so calming and so therapeutic because the type I, of drawing I do, there's really no thought involved. It's just drawing patterns. Um, and I, I found it so relaxing and also I was so grateful to be able to do it. So it just really evolved from there. And then I started posting pictures of it, of, pit, of my pictures, pictures of pictures on Instagram and people started saying, can I buy that? And I was like, why? <laughs> And then that's how that evolved. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. How did the Bondi wall mural come about? Um, I applied to – I didn't – so I always had gone to Bondi and seen this wall of all these artworks and taken photos in front of it. And the last photo that I'd taken there was in front of this particular painting. And then when I got to paint the mural, it turned out that's the one I had to paint over. And I was, was like, spot? sorry. <laughs> Um, I always wondered how that worked. Who paints yeah, over the other person's? Yeah, it felt horrible. Um, but I just applied on the Bondi website and then got an email, like I forgot, and then six months later they were like, you've been accepted. And I was like, oh, here I go. I applied again just the other day. Good on you. That's a big deal. Yeah, so yeah. who knows? Maybe I'll do another one, hopefully. And you're still selling your art? Yeah. 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 And so when do you do it? As in, when do I do drawings? When do you create your art, yeah. I actually haven't done a new one in quite a while because mm. I've been doing this. The mm. last one I did was for the um, the bushfires. I drew a picture yeah. of Australia um, mm. to raise money. And, yeah, I, I honestly haven't been drawing much as much as I would like to. Oh, mm. and in lockdown, we did, did anyone do the drawing classes with me? Yeah, I feel like we should bring them back too. That was fun. We did, like, live drawing classes so people could join in. and do yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But so I do love it, but to me it's always been more relaxing than a form of, like I didn't go into it intending to sell it. Sure. Sell yeah, it wasn't yeah. ever going to be a job. It yeah. was like something that you love to do. Yeah. Had you done art previously? That Was that something that you did at school? It just no, it came didn't. out of well, you? Well, again, it's really, it's just honestly doodling. I wouldn't really call uh, it art. It's <laughs> art. You've got a Bondi mural. But it's like, like if you asked it's, me to draw this, deal. I couldn't draw that. You know but what I mean? But you could doodle it in your shapes. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I love that. And I think that that also speaks to what you were just saying before. Um, I hope that the best days of my life are still to come. You would never have known that that Bondi mural was ahead of you. Like, you don't know what is next. I, I mean, your art is phenomenal. So I think the fact that you had that in you and you didn't know yet just speaks to the fact that there are so many things that people can do that they don't yet know that they can yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. That you can still learn. Yeah, mm. and I used to think it was just um, experiences that we hadn't had yet, but I didn't realise we, we had talents that we might not have found yet mm -hmm. or, like, I never imagined I would write a book. I Yeah, I never realised there were so many things like that that could be in our future, mm -hmm. not just different experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you actually even write about in the book that you used to be really scared of public speaking. Is that right? And then, oh, yeah. And now... Uh, well, I like this... <laughs> you're because, touring. <laughs> yeah, but I, I feel very comfortable in an interview format mm -hmm. like this because it's just like having a conversation. But if I was up here without you, no. But could you have even imagined that you would be up here with a microphone with the lights on you? You know, a long time ago. I didn't imagine amazing. anyone would <laughs> care what I had to say. People <laughs> <No>. care. <laughs> People really care. <laughs> um, this is a broad question, but what is next for you? What's coming up? What are you working towards or looking um, forward to? Well, like most things in life, I just see what happens, like the Bondi mural, forget I applied and then, well, mm -hmm. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I don't really know. I'd been so focused on writing this book, not just in the year and a half that I was writing it, but for so many years before that, that had been the big dream that I was sure. working towards. And so now that I'm in that moment of what I look forward to, I'm just trying to really focus on that before I look to the next thing. But in saying that, I, I would love to, I really loved writing the book, so I would definitely love to write more books, who knows what about, or maybe even kids' books, I don't know. But I, I would love to be able to do that again. I love that. Um, I would, first of all, I'll just check how we're going for time, because we're going all right. Beautiful. Just giving me the wrap-up sign, guys. That's perfect, because I was on my last one, my last quote. I would like to finish with the sentence that I found in the book, obviously. <laughs> you were talking about a man that you had seen in rehab but you didn't get a chance to speak to. And you wrote, but mostly he taught me that a complete stranger can have an impact so profound it has the power to change your life. And I thought that was really profound because I'm sure everyone here would agree that for so many people you are that stranger having a profound impact on their lives. So I thank That's you so, so nice. much for being here. <laughs> um, I know that everyone here is obviously such a big fan of yours and would have got so much out of this conversation um, and we would love to open up to questions. I'm sure there are people that have questions for you. Thank you so much. And, yeah, You're we welcome. have a roving mic. Is it roaming or roving? Uh, roving, I think. But okay. it can roam. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions? Don't be shy because oh. she'll answer them. At the back. Sorry to point. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, how rude of me. <laughs> it was actually kind of good timing with that quote because I think about that man all the time. I felt so sad you didn't talk to him. Yes, Has anyone in your book that you spoke about that you came over in passing. Have they reached out to you and you've spoken to you since you've brought it out or become a bit more of a name? No. <laughs> oh, my God. That's such a good question. I wondered that exact same thing. I hoped that I would get connected with the man, um, but I haven't yet. And I don't think the hospital is allowed to give out details because I was going to just go to the hospital and say, can you tell me who this man is? But I'm yeah. <laughs> probably not allowed. But, no, I haven't yet. But I'm hoping it will all... Come together. I think so, yeah. when people start reading it, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And the nurses and things. I was nurses, hoping that they would yeah. see it. Yeah. yeah, and I'm hoping Nadia, the Swiss nurse, yes. I don't know how it will ever make its way over to her, but I'm hoping... Is she the one that washed your hair? Washed my oh, hair. Love that yeah. bit. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. She'll see it. Yeah. Mm. But great question. I love that question. <laughs> Who else have we got? Down Is up. someone here? Sorry, I'm trying to do a gentle point. <laughs> <laughs> It's like an auction. You've got to be careful not to stretch or anything. Oh, my God. I, when I, I, okay, I bought a house a few years ago and I accidentally. Arms down. Yeah. No, you've got to be to buy so, it. you've got to be so careful. I hope you like that house. Um, hello. Hello. Um, one of my favourite quotes was the part where you were talking about um, that often when we're younger we view life as an in-between stage mm. and, um, I think as you were in hospital and I wondered if while everything felt so goal-oriented, how did you combat feeling um, 
I'm just like forgotten what I'm trying to say, but that in-between stage where you feel like maybe once you get to that stage you'll be okay and all of that stuff, how did you find um, that that maybe taught you? I'm kind of rambling now. You know what no, I'm I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. So initially when I was in hospital, well, in the first week after the accident, I just kept thinking that once I got back home, everything would feel normal again and life would go back to normal. And because I was overseas, it just didn't feel real. It just felt like, you know, it doesn't count. <laughs> you know, when I get home, it'll all be fine again. Um, but when I got home and I realised that wasn't... Well, when I got back to Australia and realised that wasn't the case... I very quickly realised that, yeah, what was happening was my real life. And even though I was looking forward to um, not to leaving hospital necessarily, but to getting out of that very difficult stage in my life, I also felt very present. And I think what helped me was, it was kind of a negative thing at the time, but I couldn't see the next day in front of me, let alone the next hour in front of me. Everything was so big and overwhelming to deal with so all I could think about was the very next thing that I had to do and as I said in the book we had timetables of what we had to do so I was like for the next hour I have physio no idea how I'm going to um, get through the next day of my life but for now this is all I have to focus on so sometimes yeah when things are really big I think it's just do the next right thing and just do the next thing like very much one foot in front of the other which um helps you get in that very present mindset and not just always be looking forward to the future because I was like, this, this is where I have to be right now. Did that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> there was another question over here. We need... Our mic is quiet. Hello. I got it. You're on. Um, in some of the chapters, it was incredibly frustrating listening to what you had to go through, especially with the lawyers and the whole rigmarole that you had to face. Um, and you, you spoke about switching lawyers. It still did not sound like your experience was lovely wherever you went... And I just wondered whether you eventually found someone that was able to represent you and will just move away from them after that chapter of your life was gone and just must have been really hard to hold some of that in and not be able to celebrate everything and just wondered whether you regretted not being able to post some of those things in your life at the time and, like, hold off on them. Yeah, I... I yeah, even the new lawyer... Or it ended up being the worst. We did not <laughs> oh, like that last did, did sentence. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, and there was so much more that happened that I obviously couldn't share. And I, yes, there's so much more to it. And it, it, it was so weird not being able to share, not that I even needed to share it with the world, but not being able to share it, what was going on with even my friends because I told, was told that I was under constant supervision of everything I said and did was being recorded and I was like that's so creepy <laughs> um and so it was really hard in the book ends with the court case ending and this was as I said nearly yeah that was nearly four years ago in my real life since now and it was I went through such a bad period after that and I would honestly love to write a book from then to now because so much happened and I just went through a phase of feeling so numb like I couldn't feel I didn't even feel relief that it was over I didn't feel happy I didn't feel sad I just couldn't feel any emotion which I had never experienced before and that went on for like a year and it was just it was such a bizarre situation because after the accident and I as I said before I just, I just felt so lucky to be alive and so lucky to be back on my feet and I felt like I'd experienced all these miracles, yet I was told I couldn't celebrate them and I had to just instead focus on the negative, which is very much not the way that I wanted to live. So it was just a very confusing, contrasting time in life. And when it ended, it was just, yeah, it wasn't the relief that I expected to feel. I was just more like, whoa, <laughs> that was wild. Yeah, and it took a long time to come to terms with afterwards. You'd read it? Yes. Great. I'll read it. I'll call it The too. Girl Who Got Mad. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that up then. Love I think it. I can do better. <laughs> Love it. We have another question down here in the front as well. 
We've got one there and one there. Um, so obviously Laz is a huge part of your life. She um, she's like part of my highlight of your Instagram. Um, but I was just wondering, obviously she's grown up with knowing what, um, what's happened and knowing you for who you are now. Does she understand like the weight of your accident or is she just like, oh, that's, that's M, that's who I know? Yeah. Does she get it? Um, I don't think she, she knows that I fell out of a helicopter and she's like, I'll never jump out of a helicopter. <laughs> like, why would I do that? Um, so she knows what happened and she knows about me using catheters and walking with a limp and everything. I, I, don't, I don't know if she understands, like, the spinal cord element of it or why, why it's that way, but she's so... Um, and I think now that she's older, she starts to ask more questions. Like, what did she ask me the other day? I can't remember, but she's kind of piecing it all together more. But the sweetest thing that she does that I never even asked her to do, it's my favourite thing she's ever done, is whenever we have races, because everything with a kid, like, you're just racing. Yeah. Everything, like, we have toothbrush <laughs> races, like, everything's a race. And <laughs> anyway, anytime we race, um, she'll run with Tommy along the beach or with Hayley and they'll go for a race. And then she's like, Emma, it's my turn. And she just always knows that when we're racing... She can only walk. She can do a fast walk. She can never run. And she just did that without me ever asking her to. And I just thought that was the sweetest thing in the world, oh to keep gosh. it fair. Kids, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. I love but that. Yeah, she knows what happens, but she, yeah, in her mind, she must just be like, what a weird thing to do, Emma. Like, yeah. <laughs> why would you fall out of the yeah. helicopter, mate? Yeah. <laughs> Gentleman here has got a question. Okay, I... Um, I we were up your book in those photos. My oldest brother down rehab too. He's um serious thing like you got. And it's really hard work for you and some people and some my brother too. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Oh, thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're getting yeah, so I, much beautiful feedback. Yeah. And yeah, I really hope the book can help um people who are going through similar situations, I wish that I could have read mm. this book when I was in hospital mm -hmm. and that's kind of why I wrote it, for people who are going through similar things. So, thank you. How are we going for time? You doing okay? Uh, We've got some we... more hands over here. Shall we do one more? One more, go on. It's hard to see. Are you... <laughs> like, it's so bright. So this isn't a question, but I think I can say on behalf of everyone that we're really hoping that Hollywood picks up your book and makes it into a movie. Yes. Oh, my God. Thanks. <laughs> my dream, again, okay, my life dream would be Reese Witherspoon. Does everyone know her production company? Please. Hello, yes. Yes. That's perfect for her. But, like, it's an Australian Let's start movie. start tagging so her in. It doesn't matter. Let's we're all manifesting it for you. If she got 300 tags tonight, maybe that's how. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Let's gosh. Let's do it. The power. Let's all do it at 9pm. <laughs> Done. I love it. She'll be it. like, what's going on in Australia? Dinner and tagging in race. <laughs> I love it. But thank you. That's so nice. But yeah. also that would be so weird. Like imagine having a movie about your life. Oh, weirdly fantastic. <laughs> I think that's the next goal for that's sure. That's the next one. Well, if that's it for questions. Look, I'm going to finish with a quote because why not? Because I've got, I've got another one. <laughs> this quote actually is one that you had found. So you say, I read a quote that said, life is so subtle, sometimes you barely notice yourself walking through the doors you once prayed would open. I love that. I think that that is a good one to finish on. And, and um, on behalf of everyone, we thank you so much for sharing and being so candid and so generous in your journey. Um, you're helping people every day without even knowing it. Thank well, you. Thank, thank you so much. You've Pleasure. been amazing. And thank Please. you guys all so, so much for coming. And thank you for reading the book. It just means the world. Mm -hmm.